Well, hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. We are here with our hosts, Matt Scott Brady. Matt Scott, Alan Brady Scott. <laughs> we are just a whole bunch Two of first people names with three here. first names. <laughs> interview people who do not have three first names on this podcast. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So we're here with Pete and Ash from Moscow Moto. And we're going to talk a little bit about Moscow Moto, but we're more going to talk about the fact that these are two of the most inspirational travelers out there right now. You guys are doing wonderful, wonderful travel. You're doing, you know, light and fast travel. You're getting deep into these cultures. You're spending a lot of time in these places and you're doing just some really unusual kind of austere adventures. We thought we would it would be great to hear about your most recent trip to Africa. So kind of give us the, the lowdown on that. Awesome. We're happy to do that. And thanks so much for having us on this. I, I, some of the things you just said about us, I would say about you if you were coming on a podcast we're doing. So that's funny. Special thanks to Black Series Camper for supporting this week's podcast. If you want to get out of the campsites and follow freedom and nature, Black Series Camper can show you the way. From travel trailers to toy haulers, Black Series has options as small as 12 feet or as large as 22 feet. They have a lineup ready for any need in any situation. Get yourself and your family out to enjoy nature in comfort and in style with Black Series Camper. And you can see Black Series in person at the Overland Expo shows in 2022 in Colorado and back east in Virginia, where you can meet with their team and explore their different models on display in person. Visit blackseries.net for more information. Our most recent trip was to West Africa. That was in, in February. We were there for about a month. And uh, it was in Liberia and Sierra Leone, which are two countries we didn't really know a whole lot about before going there. These are like two little tiny countries in the middle of West Africa that have a really crazy history. And I think a lot of the world's understanding uh, of these two places comes really from the Civil War. When most people think of these, this part of West Africa, they think of war. Yeah. Or they think of Ebola. And because of those two things, they haven't had a lot of visitors for a very long time. And they're sort of opening up to the world now. And we kind of, it, it popped up on our radar. We were actually supposed to be somewhere completely different in Asia. And I was back in Philadelphia visiting my folks. I we were going to Bhutan. We were yeah. going on a, one of the rally for Rangers trips. Oh, nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That fell through because of COVID. So oh, right. last yeah, minute. Yeah, shut down yeah. like hard. Oh, yeah. hard. I talked to a Liberian guy in Philadelphia and he told us about Liberia and this is like two weeks before we were supposed to go to Bhutan and <laughs> I came home, I, I Googled it on the flight home, broached the idea to Ash and said, Ash, what do you think about Liberia? And she's like, where? I was like, exactly, <laughs> let's get on Google. And in, Was there a visa requirement? Or? There's a visa requirement. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. How hard was it yeah. to get? I mean, was it something you send your passport in or is it a visa on arrival or e-visa? Uh, let's see, did we, we did do, send our passports. Did we do that for Sierra Leone or for, um, oh my gosh, I can hardly remember now. Now, so much has happened since then. Well, uh, we had help. I mean, this, this is part of the story is that we got help. We reached out to someone or we just reached out to Facebook and our networks in general and said, hey, does anybody know anybody in Liberia? We made a good contact there. And then they knew someone, they had actually worked for someone. It was someone who knew us through Moscow. Yeah. And then he... Um, a guy in Argentina. A guy in Argentina yeah. who used to live in Sierra Leone mm. and was just connected to this whole string of people. So fixers on the ground make all the difference. Oh, man. They do, yeah. And we just put it out on social and this guy responded and, and ended up being a huge help to us. And so we, I think we got our Liberia visas through the embassy and then Sierra Leone visas he helped yeah. us get uh, via email. And, um, and yeah, we just booked our flights and, and landed in Liberia. We had really nothing lined up except um, a guy that he, a Liberian guy that he'd introduced us to there. And we didn't know much about him. It turned out he was a, a movie producer living <laughs> in Monrovia, yeah. of all things. And, uh, and the idea was basically, let's just get there. Let's buy a couple of inexpensive motorcycles um, and go ride them around for a month. 
month and sell them at the end. And that, that was about the extent of it. Is that what you guys will typically do? You That's won't rent, do. you'll yeah. buy? We buy. Yeah. So it's, I mean, ahead. we won't go out of our way. If, if we've chosen a country where there are plenty of rental operations and it's it makes sense to yeah, rent Yeah, like it would bikes. be silly to buy scooters in Southeast Asia. Right, right. exactly. Yeah. Right. Or even a motorcycle. Like, yeah. you don't need to buy a motorcycle in Southeast Asia. Just rent the motorcycle. Yeah. The only problem is I always want your passport. That's always what scares me. Oh, the yeah. Yeah. Your passport? Yeah. yeah, so we do it when it makes sense, which is most of the time because we're picking these really obscure places sure. that don't have any rental operations. Rentals aren't available. Yeah, so, and you can acquire these bikes, you know, for really inexpensive. I mean, we're talking... How did you go through the process of buying the bike? Uh, and I, the reason why I asked, I've always thought, yeah. when I go to India the first time, I want to just, like, get off the plane with, like, a wad of cash yeah. and find the we first guy. With, first let's guy all go and bring inches go of rupees. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and my thought is just, you just, like, find the first dude that's, like, about my same size, yeah. and you buy his Royal Enfield and yeah. his helmet, and you just, like, that off work. you go. That would absolutely like, take work. Me, take me to the motorcycle mall. Yeah. Like, they will have yeah. a motorcycle mall, yeah. and he can take you, or someone yeah. can take you. We should go. Well, we'll we should go. That would be really fun. Let's make so that fun. happen. I'm not been to India. Let's go. That trip you just explained is, is so incredibly doable. I mean, yeah. what's happened is these these Indian and Chinese motorcycles, you know, are becoming so prevalent in the developing world that there's not really any country you can't go to and buy one. Right. And the, the prices range anywhere from maybe $600 US to $2,000 US sure. uh, in most of these countries. And you can get at least half that back at the end uh, by selling it to a local. And they consider that really inexpensive because the bike's right. still basically brand new. And you got to ride a, a bike for a week, a month, two months, however long. How did you go through the process of registering it? Or do you just use the paperwork that they've got already on there, the license that they've already got they on there? They do everything at the dealership pretty okay. much. They handle everything. I mean, they go so above and beyond. It's so unusual what you're doing. The place that you end up choosing will probably be one of the nicer dealerships or sure. where there was there's someone who speaks English and is able to help you. So in this case, I mean, we just had more than what we needed. He tried to give us jackets and pants and helmets and like, <laughs> like we got that. Gallons <laughs> of oil. And we're like, no. It's a furniture store. It's a furniture store. His other product is furniture. And then he has like eight motorcycles yeah. lined up in front. He doesn't know anything about motorcycles. And that's who you buy it from. He's selling beds and, and sofas and stuff. For yeah, sure. We, we yeah. had everything. I mean, so the day that we purchased the bikes, we came back the next morning for a couple hours. And by that time, his assistant had come back with the plates attached them to the bike, did the last few bits of tuning, and it was, we were out the door. And that's pretty typical. We've done this now in a lot of different countries. So that's actually a pretty typical experience. We also did this in Ethiopia. That was one exception. Um, <laughs> Ethiopia was quite challenging and we had to pay a bunch of money and go through a bunch of hoops. We still got our, our licenses within like three days. That was did you have to get like a license, like a riding license or, or, or no. driving license for? No, we bring international driver's licenses, but yeah. almost never get asked for them. But it's so yeah. easy to get I've them. I've never been asked. asked. Yeah. Wait, don't you feel like, I feel like I've every trip once. we get asked of course for them. And yeah. I don't know that they're really looking at it. It's like upside down. Sure. They're like, yeah. They like don't actually care about totally. it, but they do well, ask they look for so it. Fake. They oh, look totally. super fake. Like, it's, totally it's disposable. Make one. Yeah. You know, like, I think you, in those situations where we get asked, you could just as easily hand over your U.S. license and yeah. you would you'd walk away with, at worst, a small fine. But um, but the nice thing about that paper international license is you don't care about it. So it's mm-hmm. like, hey, if somebody tries to sit on it and, and shake you down, it's like, ah, keep it, screw it. Let's keep yeah, it one of my tricks that I'll do is I'll stick just an extra copy of my U.S. driver's license behind my phone in the case. So you just kind of peel the, put a couple 20s in there and a U.S. license that way yeah. you've always got a backup. Yeah, yeah. Just like case. laminated, but just like a regular extra, extra copy, copy of the yeah. license. Yeah. Well, because you can get a burner ID, or you just say I lost mine. That's what and you do. It, you just say, you say that it's valid and all yeah. of that kind of stuff. Hmm. And sometimes I do lose my wallet or for a week or two, and then I find yeah. it, and then I end up with an extra one. And I do that with an expired passport, even though the State Department 
puts a hole punch through it, they seem to still like, in, you know, if we're in Thailand or something, they kind of accept that. And then I'm leaving this expired passport with the guy, yep. not my actual passport. That's if I just need idea. to... You gotta go. You gotta okay, go. I want to know how many times you lose your hidden stash of things in your bags. Yeah, I've definitely lost that. <laughs> or not lose it forever. <laughs> well, you forget, well, you forget where you put it. You're so yeah. secretive in right. your location. <laughs> yes, exactly. I've done okay. that. And then, and then like about. three trips later, you're like, oh, that's where that like, 200 bucks and an extra license <laughs> ended up being. Yeah. So anyway, we got we ended up getting these bikes. These two bikes. We got these what were the what were the bikes? They were they're called Thunderbrand. 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 Thunder so stop with the thunder. <laughs> the ACDC song. <laughs> like the whole trip, that I was, was just like, I'd get down by the bike and be like by, in my own world doing that. <laughs> so these bikes are, are uh, uh, these Indian and Chinese bikes. These were Chinese bikes. Uh, the Chinese uh, manufacturers are starting to make small dual sports. So they're copies of uh, Honda 125s, old sure. Honda 125. So you, the parts are interchangeable between the knockoffs and also with the original. The Indians aren't making dual sport bikes, but the Chinese are. And so we usually look for a Chinese brand. And these were made by Leafon, which is one of the yeah. names. Weren't they making engines for Honda for I'm a while? Sure. That was yeah. the story with those things. Oh, so Leafon of the Chinese factories is, is one of the really good ones. And so we were pretty happy to find out. So what they do is they, they ship them into different countries and then the distributor in that country slaps their own label on it. So Thunder was Got this it. country's label for the Leafon. But that's what we picked up. And they were like 1800 bucks, which... Um, that's amazing. Yeah, brand new. And that's expensive. I mean, you could get sure. a Bajaj for, for 800 brand yeah, new, sure. you know, but we wanted the dual sports of the Navi tires. And, right. So that's yeah. what we got and, and loaded them up with some bags and just sort of headed off in the countryside and you had no real idea what to expect. I mean, we were, it's pretty exciting. And everywhere yeah. we went, people would see the bike and say, oh, jungle bike. Yeah. Totally a jungle bike. Yeah. Yeah. They were impressive. They held up pretty well. I put, I put that bike through its cases for sure. Nice. It didn't fall apart yeah. at all. But, you know, the cities are, are just nuts. You know, you've been to African cities before, you know how it is. And, it, and especially when you just landed two days ago and it's like so disorienting and there's people getting in a traffic jam right away and it's like you can't move. There's any space between cars and motorcycles is packed with people and you're just kind of locked in there. And do they drive on the left there or on the right? It's just it's complete. Oh, they drive, no, they drive the same as us. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. But I mean, they drive everywhere. There's an obstacle. They course, go yeah. anywhere. If there's an open spot. <laughs> if there's an open spot, they take it. And so that was a little weird and we didn't really know what would happen when we got out in the countryside and then almost right away leaving the, the yeah. outskirts of the city, it became just gorgeous and peaceful and, and wonderful. And, yeah. yeah, wonderful. And we, we headed out to a, the beach. A beach. Yeah. Really? In oh my the, gosh. And the yeah. surf. There were professional surfers. There were actually a bunch of documentarians there at the hotel that we, that we came to on the coast. And they were all staying there to film this surfing documentary. And so they had all these pro surfers there that we were eating breakfast with and then going out to the surf. <laughs> Liberian surfers. It was just so cool. I actually stole one of their slippers on accident. I thought they belonged to the hotel to like walk down to the beach. And he's like, hey, uh, he's like, like in the afternoon, he's like, hey, can I have my slippers back? I'm going to have to leave. I was like, oh, 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 o
diamonds. That's another thing people associate. Yeah. yeah, Ebola, blood diamonds, civil war. But all that is kind of history now, and and um, these countries are ready to come back. And COVID kind of threw a, a wrench in the system. Yeah, I bet. But now they're they're ready, and they're they're trying to get their legs back under them. And the people are just so excited to have visitors, you know. And so it, it's especially it, Sierra Leone, I would yeah. say, like even more so, like palpable excitement yeah. everywhere you they were go. Just kind of oh stoked my, that you're just there. so stoked. Yeah, everybody was so stoked. Do they speak French there, or are they English? English. English, but a, a very unique version yeah. of English. Okay. It's, it's in, in Sierra Leone. It's called uh, Creole and Coloqua in um, Liberia. So it's a version of English that's been, you know, the, Liberia is actually founded by America by free free slaves. slaves. Yeah, yeah. And so the language that the slaves brought with them, and same with Sierra Leone with the British. And so the language that the slaves brought has now been, you know, continued to get distorted over the years, and it's turned into a really its own language. But but they can you can get enough words in common to kind of navigate. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that and makes sense. You can usually find an English speaker. So what was what was one of the the really fun encounters that you had like right off the bat where you're just like that one totally surprised me i got one go <laughs> i think we there's not much lodging there you right. know there, oh. there, there's not much lodging there and so yeah there's no infrastructure for tourism and so yeah, you know we carry camping gear for exactly that reason because without it you wouldn't really have the confidence to head out in the countryside not knowing what's out there you know sure. there's no information on the internet and so we headed out and of course we wanted to get out on dirt roads right away and kind of get way up in the northern countryside on the up on the northern border with Guinea. And so we headed up that way. And what we'll do sometimes when we're out there and there's not lodging or guest houses, we'll just pull into a little settlement, ask for, ask, ask if we can camp there. Usually with, you know, hand language and just sure. like, hey, can we sleep here? Never been turned down. They take you to the chief. You sit down with the chief, kind of explain as best you can what you're doing. They never say no. They always say, yes, you can sleep here. And usually we give them a little money the next day. So anyway, we go to this village, ask the first person. He takes us to the chief. We have that conversation. It's really quick. And they set us up a little spot next to their tiny little mosque. And we start pulling out our tent out of our panniers and stuff like that. Man, the whole settlement like came out and it was like this event. They, they brought out plastic chairs. They brought out benches. <laughs> they brought you're, snacks. Yeah, you were the, you were, show, right? you, you yeah, were channel yeah. seven that night. Oh my God. Oh yeah. I, I looked back at some photos and it's like a semicircle like this. And then we're, we're on stage like this, you know, it was really funny. This, anyway. One of the, um, I would say like middle-aged guys in the group, David, he came up to me at one point while I was setting up the tent and he's like, Ashley, we have never, never seen this before. <laughs> and we are very happy you are here. And we want to dance. And he's like, I was like, I'm going to sleep. I'll dance in the morning. And the next morning you did dance. The next morning the, oh, yeah. the ladies came out yeah, and they were right. so stoked. We we and they just started dancing and then they roped Ash in and it was like a yeah. thing. And we all got along. We're not really speaking in the same language that much, but you know how that is. It's just like this awesome vibe. Everybody's so happy. And that's one of the nice things about, I think, traveling in places where they don't get a lot of visitors is that you have this really nice equal exchange like obviously the way they live is novel to us but also the way we are is novel to them and so this instead mm-hmm. of the classic tourist scenario where you're the hundredth person through that day and nobody really cares yeah, you, 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 you become commoditized you're just dollar signs exactly. right because that's what their business is yeah. and that's a, but that's a hard thing to find mm-hmm. and you find it in places like this that don't don't get a lot of visitors and it, it's really nice because they're taking pictures of you you're taking pictures of them they're looking at your stuff you're looking at their stuff everybody's smiling i mean that's a, yeah. just such a nice feeling you know? but one of the things that i wanted to ask you guys is that's been part of your travels that's most impressed me is the fact that you do go to these very remote places. How would you describe that transition? I mean, have you just always gone to like super remote, obscure places? Was there something that changed either in you as people or in your travels that brought you to this point now where you're looking for those unusual places on the map? I think, I mean, we'll have different answers for this since we've been together. That's all we've done. 
What's what's your answer? And my answer is that I think I started seeking out those places before we got together. And on my first trip to Africa, it was like way too sanitized for my taste. It was very... You can isolate yourself from every reality of Africa very quickly in Africa. Great. Another ham and cheese sandwich and watching elephants behind a fence. Like, this is just not what I want to be doing. Like, I want to be in it. And so I had a couple of days at the end of that trip where I was able to go off on my own and to go exploring and to just experience what it's even like, you know, find my way and converse with people outside of that sort of structure. And then when we started dating, the first trip that we did together was Sri Lanka and it just completely... I remember when you guys did that. That was super cool to follow along. Like, it's such an obscure place. Yeah. You know, like, people just don't really go. India's like the main attraction. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of this little island off the side. And then it also had its civil war. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which kind of set its international reputation. I think it was you guys that kind of said it was India light. In yeah, a lot of ways, yeah. yeah, yeah I think I remember that. that like years ago. Yeah, you yeah. could say that. Yeah, How about for you, Pete, what was what was like the impetus to like I'm going to get really far off the beach, culturally that, and physically? I think that um, I mean that feeling I just described is a, is like a, a draw, you know. And I think it, it. I got into this type of travel. I was a backpacker before, and then I kind of mixed the the interest in motorcycles with the backpacking, and realized how liberating that was to get off the the bus routes and the train routes and the hostels and the little waterfall and cave tours and things that they pitched to backpackers and go off on my own and I started having these experiences and, and wanting them more and so that's been sort of leading on this path you know and the desire to kind of see the world and, and go to places that are, are unfamiliar because that feeling of vulnerability that I get there is like really appealing you know that's when all the good things happen yeah. and it, but it, you, it's a weird thing to be like oh, I have to make myself vulnerable you know that you have to fight some instincts I mean even here I, I don't know I haven't seen the presentations and stuff but there's so much information about how to reduce your risk and limit your risk and do this and take this safety thing and do this all stuff and it's like then you isolate yourself from the adventure yeah and it, it, but that is a weird irony I mean I'm not saying we shouldn't study those things and we shouldn't have those skills of course we should but but man when you really put yourself out there is when the magic happens and, and I think that it happens in places like this and it, it doesn't happen anywhere else for me personally it doesn't happen anywhere else and that is one of the beauties of motorcycle travel and even more so bicycle travel or someone who's just walking across the country yeah the fewer barriers that you have between your yourself and the local culture, the more that you are able to interact with them. So I noticed that if I'm on a 1200 BMW, I have a different experience than if I'm on some clapped out local motorcycle. So even though they're both motorcycles, you know, I'm already a big person and you put me on a giant bike and I start to look intimidating again. For sure. Especially with the dual sport stormtrooper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're you're like your stuff because you don't look like a stormtrooper. We don't even wear, we don't, honestly, we don't even wear it on these trips. Like, it's so hot usually because of the time of year that we're traveling. There's just no way. I yeah. was like, I gave away, I brought my woodsman pants and gave them away like, yeah. a week into the trip. I was like, nope, can't do this. It's too hot. And we're, we have some, some can't pants coming. I actually use these Fjall Raven pants a lot uh, for this kind of stuff, but we wear street clothes. Yeah. And part of that is being more approachable and part of it's being yeah. more comfortable. And then you're also on the same bike as the locals. So you're removing these barriers. You know, totally. I had a, an experience in, in Laos. I broke my leg in Laos a couple years ago. I crashed 
crash and I were riding up like way up north in Laos near the China border and crashed and broke my leg and I had to go to Thailand to go to the hospital and Ash continued and had this epic trip through Laos and then Vietnam and I went off to Thailand this guy loaned me a jeep went to the hospital got a cast all that stuff and he's like well while you're killing time here's a jeep and I, I went up and drove up in the mountains and the, the experience I had going straight from the motorcycle and then like four days later I'm on this jeep and it was like nobody talked to me and I yeah. mean even yeah. my broken leg was a conversation piece but it, it didn't work you know what I mean it was like I would go into restaurants it's and come totally out different. It's totally different and uh, on the motorcycle you stop to get gas and people cluster around where are you yeah. going what are you doing if you, you, know, if you have an open face helmet on you know they can they can see your, your smile your, your, your and smile. your expression yeah. and they can see that you're dirty and wet and you can clearly you can only bring so much with you you need a place to stay yeah and it does change the dynamic much more than when you're driving a four-wheel drive totally and it's even worse when you're in some giant like expedition assault vehicle where you're you know <laughs> them do like I, think I, lot, hide, maybe. I think a lot of them do yeah for yeah. sure i mean it looks like the military's coming through town yeah. yeah totally so i think making yourself use a fun color on the car roll the windows down and give them a high five and smile and like try, if you're in a car Try to open yourself up more to the space, for sure. Do you remember that that guy, um, Jim Jim Rogers, with oh, the yeah. venture capitalist, and he took the, the great Mercedes two seater and put it on a G wagon chassis totally. and bright yellow, bright yellow car, yeah. <laughs> drove it around the country, around the world. I mean, yeah, it looked like a circus. It looked like a circus car, and of yeah. course, it made people like a little more disarmed. What yeah. in the heck in heck is that? Yeah, yeah. 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 That's a great book. Too. That's That's, a great yeah, book. yeah. he was one of the first. That. Yeah. To do that. I mean, I guess we're talking about the adventure capitalist guy. I mean, one of the things that I admire about you guys but I'm also really curious about is you run a successful growing business in kind of the same thing how do you make the time you know like like what is what is your thought process is it part of just who Moscow is I mean we, we try and get out and travel but how do you is, is it how you've structured the business with being like direct to consumer and not having the phone yeah, you all the time from somebody there's this stigma it, it's weird even in this industry now there's become a stigma against we were a travel industry and now we're like becoming a stuff industry the travel's almost being forgotten we're not doing anything as crazy as you are in the next few weeks we're, we're gonna we're gonna go to the arctic ocean and i mentioned that to people like some of my dealers and stuff from Tracks, and it's like what if i need to get hold of you well there's other people that can do that you know there's that there's like a meme on the internet that's like a european vacation responder i'm leaving for the summer for the summer please email me like at the end of the year and then the american vacation responder is i'm currently undergoing a, a kidney transplant i will update you every 15 minutes and i will be available by email you know like so like quick not totally serious but semi-serious answer is actively tell people that you don't look at your email yeah and don't look at your email yeah and have good employees and go just go like literally put it on the calendar and just go yeah our team is uh i have a really good team and they've been very supportive of this and we try to offer the same opportunities and time for them to do trips yeah you have to get you have to have happy people skilled people to hire the right people but then you have to let them go out and do what they're gonna do i've always felt that you can't be the guy at the top that's getting to have all the fun and not bring people with and not provide those same opportunities Mm -hmm. you know so i think that's just what has been so unique to me looking at like Moscow as a business 
is that you, you know, like we're not like close friends or anything, but I follow you guys and I admire what you do because from the get go, you've been doing this. And then I see huge trailers and I see you guys pop up here and pop up here and pop up here and you continue to travel. Yeah. And I think that it shows people that it can be done. You know, a lot of people are just afraid to break away from the venturing into the unknown is, is almost not venturing into the wilderness or whatever. It's venturing into the unknown of what happens to my job? What happens if, what happens if I don't, what happens if I don't check my email? What happens if, you know, what is your advice to the people out there that are, whether they're working at, you know, a nine to five or they're an entrepreneur or business owner, like whatever it is, like, I mean, aside from, you know, yeah, just don't check your email. Like what is that elevator pitch, that elevator speech to that guy or girl to, to go? Can I say one more thing before you? Okay. One thing about our business is that the product is comes first. And the only way that the product is the way it is, is Andrew, of course, we aren't designers. We ride more than anybody else does. We spend more time on a bike. We know the product more intimately, maybe not more intimately than Andrew, but our feedback is imperative to the product line, improving and growing, et cetera. And it shows because you, in your space, you are the innovators and you're also the ones that are doing it. And I think that that is inextricably linked. There's a lot of brands around here that have become like, I'm not going to say corporate because I think that that's kind of a weird term, but they stopped doing what they did Mm -hmm. that got them to where they are for sure you know they they, if they stop traveling then they stop having the ideas to develop the products and they're not actually out there refining it and you end up with stagnation as the overland industry there's a lot of stagnation right now you're either innovating or you're dying you're innovating and you're and and then it's 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 a light bulb that's gone on for me is the people that are innovating are actually the only ones that are out there doing it which is really cool I mean, I think, um, you know, when you, if you start a business doing something you love and you get into it and you have a little bit of success and, and you get an income and you, you have a team and then you get to find out how much you really love that activity because yeah. some people get to that situation and the last thing they want to do is the thing they thought they loved before they started a business. Right. Other people, the business throws the doors wide open for all sorts of opportunities to engage with the activity and they go full bore into it. And that's what's happened to us. You know, the business has opened a lot more doors to ride and travel. We've gone through those doors, loved it, brought good feedback back to the business. That's helped the business. The business has opened more doors. Yeah. It's turned into this wonderful feedback loop. And you've surrounded yourselves with really great people. Like, I mean, Bill Whitaker comes yeah. to mind. I mean, yeah. just, just really <laughs> exceptional human beings yeah. that have helped you solve problems and overcome challenges. I mean, I just can't emphasize the team part of this enough. And Selling Direct helps a lot because um, our customers have been very, very understanding. You know, it's not a lot of businesses where you're like, oh yeah, we're in Africa riding. And instead of like, oh, screw you guys, people are like, sweet, that's awesome. I'm glad you guys <laughs> you didn't my email in five minutes I hate you and buying the rest uh, of the stuff you know, you're like that's badass they're in yeah. Africa and then they hit our customer service team and there we go but I still think um, and we're fortunate to be in you know have this like nice integration of our work in our lives I think also for other entrepreneurs that are, are struggling with that you know the there is likely to be a cost to your business for, for doing this, for being gone. And especially when you're small before you build a team and to think that there won't be might be a little bit naive, you know, that used but you might to have huge. to get comfortable with that in order to get comfortable making this space. You may miss a sales opportunity or your income may be a little yeah. bit lower this year, or you may frustrate a, a team member because you're not available to answer yeah. a question. But you know, some of those you can head off a little bit, especially with the team. If, if you put yourself, if you're the type of business manager that puts yourself as the bottleneck on every decision, then you're going to cause a lot of frustration for your team. Yeah. 
But if you your team is capable of making decisions, capable and responsibility, enabled. then you leaving is an opportunity for them to shine. Like the Patagonia and Yvonne Chouinard talks about that his MBA is management by absence, which I thought was hilarious, you know, but I, I'm not sure we've gone that far, but I do think it's a, a neat thought and look at Patagonia, you know, yeah. he's gone half the year. Yeah, he hired that's a bunch amazing. of really smart, capable people. He did. He's got a great team and that's not where we're going. We, we, we are, we love our business. We love what we do for a living. The, the travel and the writing just fits like a glove. I mean, the, we don't, the good ideas never come when we're sitting at our desks. You know? no. Well, and that's what I was going to mention is most of the changes of the big changes that we've made through our businesses have come from being out in the field. Yeah. yeah. And you get that moment of stillness. You kind of quiet down some of the chatter. The monkey mind slows down <laughs> yeah. just a little bit. You know, your heart rate drops a little bit and then yeah. like you get this spark of inspiration. Okay. And I know, Matt, for you, it's the same. You need to be out. You, you see it more yeah, than anybody do. with me. Like, I do. You know, Scott and I have mirrored buildings. We're in the same complex. His, his <laughs> I mean, I think even our, our desks are in the they same do. place and in the same mirrored buildings, yeah. you know? The guy that's sitting in the office designing products is going to be the guy sitting in the office designing products. You know, he's not out there. He doesn't actually understand the needs of that consumer. You're just going to look at what everybody else is doing and how can I do what everybody else is doing? Right. And you never want to be that person. Yeah. You know, everybody on our team rides. Everybody has a bike. We ride together. We ride separately. We do trips. And that, that our design team, everybody on the design team rides. I mean, that, that so it's just like totally baked in the DNA of the business. And I, I think that shows in the product. And, you know, the line between us and, and our quote unquote customers, I say that because it's just like such a, a blurry line. We are them. We yeah. are, they are us. Sometimes they help us at events. We're out using the product ourselves. Yeah. I mean, it's like, who's what? It's a recurring theme that I have with, with founders that I talk to is that I wasn't building this for anybody else. I was building it for me. Like when we chatted with Brad on the couple podcasts ago, that was the thing that I, that I took away from that is I wasn't, I wasn't like trying to find something to sell. I was just trying to find a solution on my own. Like I wanted to solve that problem for myself and hopefully some other people find it interesting and they want it. And oftentimes you know? they do. When you yeah. build something genuine that solves a genuine problem for yourself, oftentimes other people want to buy it. And that's definitely what's, what's cool about what you guys do is that you're not the first soft luggage that's available, but it is certainly one of the first that's been built by people who ride a lot, drop bikes a lot, <laughs> need to go in and out of hostels. Yeah. Like that's one of the challenges. Like it can take 10 minutes to get some of these soft bags off of a bike. For you guys, it's just a couple of clips and you slide the thing right out of there and you're gone. Yeah. You know, you're into the coffee shop doing work. I mean, it's yeah. working. It's yeah. working. So, but you guys know that from having done it. That type of experience absolutely shaped the mounting system on the backcountry panniers. That was, that was like that exact type of experience you're describing was part of the, the idea founding. to make a frame pack. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it works so much. And then it still doesn't break your leg when you catch a rock or something, you know? So yeah, when I first got into motorcycles, I was like, Oh, I want hard luggage because somebody can't steal it and this and that. And then I actually like, I got into motorcycle trials and I got into racing Enduros and I'm like, I don't want to break my leg. <laughs> yeah, like, sure. And then I got Moscow stuff mainly because I'm on the Scott Brady hand-me-down program. It has a lot of benefits. It's really good, especially because we're like the same size we and we have the same tastes. <laughs> so <laughs> it's great. It's great. I like how we started with, are we wearing the same pants? We did start. <laughs> well, I kind of learned everything from him. So, well, and even soft luggage can be solved on the security side as well. I mean, there's yeah. a, there's a company called PackSafe that makes these very cool mesh metal and they're not even in a closed bag that some of them are, but you can put the bag around this meshed. Yeah. This mesh, and then yeah. you can lock it to the bike. Yeah. And you, it's not easy to get off. It's actually probably harder to get off than, than hard. I wonder if it makes you more of a target though. Some, like sometimes I'm always a little sketched out by like, you know, being the guy that has like those travel pants that have like that. 
the, Please the, don't. the locks and the, your, your pants are actually made of Kevlar and carbon in case somebody's going to slash your pants. I'm like, dude, if somebody's slashing your pants, like, you have bigger the, problems. The $50 in local currency that you have in your cargo pants is just probably, give them. Just, yeah. just give them the thing and then, you know, don't end up with like a slashed femur or whatever it would be. They're not going to think you have blood diamonds in your pocket. Yeah, totally. No, we, uh, we have that, that security conversation all the time and we, uh-huh. we actually have a lock, pretty cool locking system on our backcountry pan air. It's not doing yeah. a commercial here, but like people can check that out. If you leave your bike unattended and give a thief the time and the space to work on it with the tools of their choice, they're going to get into anything. No yeah. There's a video on YouTube um, that shows a couple guys stealing a bike on a city street and they, they pull up in a van. The two guys jump out, lift the bike, throw it in the van, shut the door. It's under 15 seconds. They're gone with the entire bike. Yeah. yeah. You know, forget about breaking into a hard pannier or a soft pannier. So like, and, and I think for people that really do a lot of international travel, understand that. And, and you know, you're kind of always aware of where your bike is. Is someone watching it? If you're going to sit and have lunch, you're going to keep an eye on it. You know, it's like, yeah. it never ends up being a problem. Well, people are always scared of the unknown, right? Like some yeah. people steer themselves to the unknown and some people are, are very afraid of it. You get comfortable in the environment and the country that, that you live in. The reality is that, you know, I love America and I think it's great, but America's not like Switzerland. You know, it's not Australia safe. It's not like Japan. Yeah. Like we, yeah. we have problems here too. St. Louis. I mean, yeah, yeah. But, but everybody <laughs> like, always I'd has an idea that Johannes I'm going overseas. For sure. <laughs> Therefore, I won't be safe. Like, oh, there's poor people there. They're going to want what I have. Yeah. Like that is like the, the mistake yeah, the of mistake. that people it's make. It's a total mistake. And, yeah. it's, it and it's like, I've met some of them. When you're, it's almost like when you're the most vulnerable as a traveler, you meet the nicest people. Oh, for sure. You know, like mm-hmm. I can't think of the amount of times I've been somewhere in Asia on a scooter and I don't have, this is like, pre like Google Fi or whatever where your phone just like work. And you know, you get a guy that hops on a scooter and takes you back to the right road and, and whatever. And you just like, without that, without making yourself a bit vulnerable, you're never gonna have those experiences because you just build up the walls. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just one of the, the cool things I've seen in your travels that that I really admire is you don't walk into these situations in these countries with any pretension, with any expectations, it seems. You know, you're, you, you actively want to be a part of their life lives are you're not trying to you know you're sleeping you know you're asking the chief to sleep you're not like oh i want to have that kind of experience but you know where's the four seasons i mean that's what me and scott do but i'm joking kind of not really uh sometimes maybe avoiding that question it's it's very necessary every once in a while to get a nice hotel and get cleaned up i get pretty i'm like okay (laughs) we gotta find somewhere to take a shower i cannot stand myself today (laughs) and you do get to that point you're like who is that that smells you're like, that's uh, me. Oh. Like, <laughs> it's you. You're literally so funky right now. I can tell it's happening when I just start leaving my helmet on and not getting off my bike. And I'm like... You know, we were, we were talking a little while ago about the you know, the way that people get sort of anesthetized tourists in these areas, like near the main attractions. And I also think that's where the worst crime happens. Yeah. And there's actually, opportunity. There's opportunity. We, we kind of have a saying that we say to each other that, you know, in order to have predators, you got to have prey and that wherever the prey is concentrated, the predators are concentrated. And you're, so you're, for example, you would have a lot more issues with theft and pickpocketing right outside the gate train station or something. Or yeah, yeah, station no doubt. Than you would have. In the countryside, there's not enough prey to support a predator. No. So you can feel very confident out there that, you know, the people that seem like they want to help you are really trying to help you. And you know, but totally true. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Like the intuition, we have this wonderful intuition and we all have it. Some people just are able to tap into it and others are unfamiliar with that. But if you have and, and can tap into that intuition, just don't, you know, follow 
it. If you Trust feel it. like somebody yeah. is behind you, maybe you look over your shoulder. But it doesn't mean that the whole place is dangerous. Like always, I, listen to the voices in your head. Well, <laughs> Trust each other too. Like if, like maybe one of you are like, this is the best thing ever, and the other one is like. This doesn't, you just yeah. trust the other person and yeah. you move on. Ooh, that's you know, a good one to go into is traveling as a couple. I was going to say on that, the, the um, so another thing we talk about sometimes is the experience of being spooked. I'm sure you guys have felt this before. Oh, you yeah. arrive somewhere tired after a long day <laughs> and you're like, you're like, wow, this place is so sketchy and his, that guy's so weird. He must be mafia. Like you get this like weird feelings and then you wake up the next day and have breakfast. You're like, oh my God, where was my oh, What was night? I totally thinking? Normal. Yeah, it's like totally. <laughs> but when you're tired and when you're stressed and when you're exhausted and you have, you know, your, your body, your mind is going to go into self-presentation reservation mode you know right. like, that's true yeah that's what that's exactly what it so, is so you know and it becomes the boogeyman because yeah. yeah, but, but then that goes back to having the nice hotel every once in a while especially when you're like you guys are traveling and you're putting you know yourself into these situations that are more stressful more challenging whatever yeah, i think people forget is like that the, the purpose of travel is enjoyment it's not really to prove anything like so many people you know they're like i want to get the boy scout badge of going here and here and here and here and here but it's really it's it's about everything that you do outside of that tourist trapper or outside of that and you have to make sure that you're in the right mindset and if that means i'm gonna do a hotel every week it's it's not a competition a lot of travelers traveling yeah. is not a competition it's not you do it for yourself yeah so be comfortable yeah. because then you're not going to think that you know that guy's mafia and trying to steal your bike when right. it's not actually a reality you know I, I do think that's a good idea though we should talk about traveling as a couple oh, what yeah. have you guys yeah. learned what have you yeah. guys learned about each other through travel and, and how have you learned to travel well together let's start on that one I mean I'll just start by saying we travel so awesome together like it's crazy people ask us about working together living together traveling together like how do you do all of this together like don't you drive each other crazy but actually no, I mean, I probably drive him crazy sometimes. Yeah. I'm like, I'm the moody one. He's like calm and 70 degrees all the time. So you're Laura and then we're the same. <laughs> <laughs> Traveling, I feel like I've just watched Pete have so much like patience and courage and leadership, just this natural leadership. I mean, I would follow him anywhere. <laughs> Literally. Oh, uh, Literally. Yeah. And we, we travel really well together. Like I, like I said, I'm the one who struggles more with like my mood or my, like getting into a bad headspace during travel. I'm like a very, um, I experience things in a, an intense manner. The world I've always experienced in an intense manner. So when we go to these places, there are times where it's hard for me. It's really hard for me because of what I'm seeing or how I'm feeling or that it's what it's stirring up. Yeah, Pete's like so patient. He's like, oh, well, let's just stay here for two days. We'll just stay here. You can, you know, chill and like go to the beach or do whatever, yeah. you know, whatever You've it is. You've got to give yourself some grace, you know, and you have to recognize that people are different, you know. Mm -hmm. Running a business together is almost like the perfect preparation for traveling together in a lot of ways. It can it's, be. It's yeah. stressful situations. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, one's livelihood, one's enjoyment, you know, or, or the opposite. Like with my wife and I, we traveled extensively together for a while then we went into business but going into business people are like how do you work together i don't know like it's been like way worse because we've been through all these incredibly stressful situations you know when you're in wherever the you know wherever the hell is stand and you know you get bit by a dog and you have to get rabies shots or something together and you're like oh yeah it wasn't as bad as that like <laughs> this, this is just work 
Yeah. I should tell myself that more often, actually. <laughs> that's a really important insight is recognizing, and it sounds like, Pete, that you do a good job of this, is recognizing that Ashley needs a moment yeah. to be with those experiences. Why cut that short? Like, you're feeling this intense experience. Why cut that off and just try to go a different direction? Yeah. I think that's the wrong path. I think yeah. being able to sit for a minute with what you're feeling and fully fully process that, download it, maybe Yeah, I think adjust. you have to download and process yeah. those memories. Otherwise, it just gets overwhelming. You're When you're traveling, especially with what you guys do, you're in constant stimulation. And eventually, you can you can get stimulation fatigue. And you totally. have to just like, well, okay, and I, let me I stop. have this rule of like, I don't want to be just in a place. I want to be of it. So I want to learn it. I want to like be down in the dirt. I want to know what it smells like. I want to know what everything tastes like. Like, I really want to be of the place. And so me doing like actively doing that every day is taxing you know sure. it's just like whoa I just run out I run out I'm the, I'm like an energizer bunny and then I turn into a toddler and I'm like somebody change me and put me to bed and yeah. like, I need to go to sleep right yeah. now right here we're not. so we've been together long enough that like this is this will be our seven years of traveling together yeah. like we've kind of got it down now and never has it been hard it's been we're, awesome we're not really going anywhere I mean we're just traveling so yeah, two sure. days here yeah. one day here one day somewhere else who cares like interesting stuff could happen right here we don't even know it's that there could be boring and rainy who knows like we it's like you stopping for a day is no big deal you know but I, I, another aspect i think couples traveling that i was just thinking of while while you're talking is the way other people interact with you is is, mm. is interesting and also your own social needs like all of us have traveled alone so we know what that feels like and yeah. there is a hunger that develops when you're isolated in a, a place far away you don't speak <laughs> the language and that hunger sort of builds up and and eventually it pops yeah. and you need to interact and, and that and you put yourself in situations where you're going to have these interactions and when you're traveling as a couple you're interacting with each other all the time so your social needs are met you behave a little bit differently in that scenario <laughs> yeah. than you would alone um, but then also there's the way the world interacts with you like your drive right like your yeah, drive to go out and do yeah, like do you ever feel the need to travel alone sure yeah I mean, we do have that yeah yeah because yeah. like you said like sometimes when you are traveling with somebody you're not as likely to strike up a conversation with that yeah. person at the bar this person That's wherever you are about. yeah and you almost don't get the same experience sometimes yeah mm -hmm. because as you're saying like you guys might be on different wavelengths or different stages of the day one might be a little bit more fatigued than the other and then you kind of just focus on each other's needs i don't really travel alone a lot when i do have that opportunity i actually it sounds bad but i do actually savor it because it's, it's kind a of a similar thing yeah, like, yeah. It's a trip. for a long it's time different. i've always yeah you know had i think it's important because it, it's selfish and i think it's an it's it's weird but it's important to be selfish when you travel whether that's solo or as a couple i found like you have to be able to speak up particularly to your partner i want to stop for this yeah because not everybody is the Definitely. same person and not everybody has the same goals yeah laura's a lot more interested in nature i'm a lot more interested in cars and mechanics and <laughs> cities and culture she's interested in that too but everybody's different and you have to communicate i feel i mean like this content is brought to you by overland journal our premium quality print publication the magazine was founded in 2006 with the goal of providing independent equipment and vehicle reviews, along with the most stunning adventures and photography. We care deeply about the countries and cultures we visit and share our experiences freely with our readers. We also have zero advertorial policy and do not accept any advertiser compensation for our reviews. By subscribing to Overland Journal, 
You're helping to support our employee-owned and veteran-owned publication. Your support also provides resources and funding for content like you are watching or listening to right now. You can subscribe directly on our website at overlandjournal.com. How do you guys, do do you actively communicate about those things when you're on the road? We try. Yeah, Yeah, we try try. as quickly as as possible. That is like the key. I mean, just in relationships in general, I think keeping a short account and just like doing it as quickly as possible. Like I actually had something on this trip that I like, I don't know what, just my inner saboteur wanted me to to spin on it for a couple weeks before I said sure. it out loud that it was bothering me and it was like not even a big deal could have been taken care of immediately Pete was like making videos but he didn't have headphones in and so I was hearing like the same sound bite just go like a zillion times and so for like two weeks I just was being mildly resenty like not the kind that's gonna stay forever but just the kind of like oh what the the f- little stuff that adds up <laughs> I was like I was poor totally Paula she has to listen to my she said it and I was like oh yeah so anyway that like yeah. yeah we were we definitely do we're getting yeah. we're getting a little close on time okay. to wrapping things okay. up we got a couple yeah. questions we'd like to okay. finish with yeah. Yeah. we always like to ask if there are books that have been an inspiration to you books that you've read that you love and if there's not that's totally and it doesn't have to have anything to do with overlanding like it can just be like wow that's yes it can be anything like my answer is Dr. Seuss (laughs) (laughs) I love Jupiter's Travels that that was a great read but that's like almost a cliche answer it's so epic but uh, it is amazing yeah that's a great story Um, because he was so early in that process yeah and I, I, I just love this like Early, that's a good word. Yeah, yeah that's I mean, a good there's a lot. I, I read a ton, but I, like, I've always held the spot. I'm like, gosh, what's a book? Yeah, but that's one that definitely affected me. I, I would say The War of Art. Oh, that's yeah, a good one. That's a good one. It's yeah. a good one. It's one that's that I really read. I try to yeah. read like once a year yeah. just to kind of refresh yeah. and seed it into my mind. Thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I do have one more. What's okay. next? What's the next crazy place that you're going to fly into and buy a bike? And Well, that's a good question. Are we going to India in February? Or I mean, sorry, July or not? It's still TBD, yeah. Oh. I'd love to. Yeah, Maybe too. India? We're interested in getting out there. I hear that's the ultimate stress test for couples is yeah. traveling in India. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, specifically, we kind of have our, had our eyes on that far northern. Yeah. You know, it's kind of yeah. that above tree line, shaley terrain, this glacial river, that kind of zone. So that's definitely on our radar. We're always... Uh, interested in more Africa trips, you know. But Bhutan is on the calendar. Bhutan is coming up in October. Yeah, October. Yeah, so we... Amazing. And we're, we're, but we reserve the right to like change our minds like that. I mean, we could be like, this happens several times. Like we're weeks from going on a trip. We go to a totally different continent. We just, yeah, like, be just, selfish because like, travel is about here. nobody but yourself. You guys, yeah. yeah. If you're doing travel for other people... Awesome. Maybe you shouldn't. Yeah, reel so. it back in. Thank you both so oh, much. Yeah. Thank you guys Thanks for being you. on the podcast. You're, you're truly an inspiration. We look forward to seeing what you're going to do next. So. Thanks, Scott. You guys gave me so many good excuses. Well, they do it. Why can't I? <laughs> come with us. Come on, let's go together, man. Yeah, that's so true. For real. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Man, thank, thank you, you guys so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, totally. All right, guys. Awesome. Thank, thank you all for listening. Thank you. Of course. All right. Wow, that was great.